welcome to Book and Film Globe, the week in review. I am Neil Pollock, editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, the mightiest culture publication on the entire internet. Uh, that was the theme from the Endless Summer soundtrack to the motion picture from The Sandals, a very relaxing song. Always, it's, on my, uh, it's on my Tiki Party Essentials playlist for when I have a tiki party again. I don't know when that'll be. I don't know if I've ever had a tiki party. But I, I chose that song as our opening because we're actually, we're talking a little bit later about a movie called About Endlessness, um, which is actually a Swedish movie that is about as unsummary as any, um, I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but the preview looks makes it look about as unsummary as any movie ever made. But uh, I don't know. I always, I always enjoyed listening to the Endless Summer music. And uh, hopefully we will have an Endless Summer as COVID restrictions lift, uh, lift and uh, we can go back to the movies again. Just a reminder to all of my guests, my many guests, my many contributors from Book and Film Globe, you are being recorded for posterity. This is now being turned into a podcast, so uh, we can continue our march toward dominance of this uh, book and film internet space. So, so everyone, be on their best behavior and at their wittiest, and let's roll. Sharon Bain. Contributor to Book and Film Globe, uh, intrepid books reporter, uh, not, and very knowledgeable, <laughs> and, and good friend. Welcome once again to the weekly show. Thank you, and I, I will be as, as witty as is humanly possible with our, our, our two big um, uh, sort of kerfuffles on, yeah. uh, in, in, in book world. Um, yeah. So, so, so I wanted to start by saying, so yeah, we did, we covered some kerfuffle. That's kind of our specialty with, with books. We, we cover small kerfuffles that the rest of the media may not uh, quite uh, get to. We also wrote this week, uh, Michael Washburn wrote about the uh, Ernest Hemingway documentary uh, on PBS, uh, Six Hours of Ernest Hemingway. Is that, is that maybe too much Ernest Hemingway for you, Sharon? It may, I would say it is, I, I can handle maybe two to two and a half hours of Hemingway. Yeah. And then once we get past that, it, it may be too much. But, you know, I mean, there are a lot of Hemingway fans out there. And, and uh, I mean, Michael, I thought, did a good job of uh, talking about why why that would appeal to uh, the fans of uh, fans of Papa Hemingway. Papa Hemingway, yeah. I was thinking like four hours of it because I feel like, you know, if I can sit there and watch an extra inning baseball game, I can watch a four-hour documentary about anything. Yes. That's, that's basically what an extra inning baseball game is. Uh, and except the four-hour documentary doesn't have beer commercials in it. I suppose you could you could take breaks and put beer commercials in it if you wanted to. Well, anyway. this is true. So and, if you, yeah. and if you loved yeah. Hemingway, like, maybe six hours wouldn't be enough. So let's, um, let's go to the videotape. Let's talk about... Um, the uh, controversies in the lit world that we covered this week. We did not cover the uh, controversy over the Philip Roth biography being pulled by its publisher. We uh, did not. I felt, no, I felt like that was uh, very uh, heavily covered elsewhere. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, Blake Bailey, the uh, biographer, the Philip Roth biographer, uh, has been accused of uh, sexual misconduct um, b- uh, both as an adult, uh, sort of a, a, in the lit world, and also as a uh, instructor at a, a, a private school in New Orleans. He was grooming eighth graders. Anyway, 
it's complicated, but uh, the book no like quite, quite, quite ugly. It is interesting uh, that the, the response from the publisher is interesting. I mean, I think uh, definitely Blake Bailey is. Uh, uh, it's of much concern. I mean, you read those reports from so many women and realize how much she was grooming, but it's, uh, yeah, no, it's I don't think anybody expected them to pull that book. You know, we're not, not condoning anything he's accused of, of course, but I've just, again, like, and I go over this and over this book pulling is bad for any reason. You know, no, and we're we're, we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in the second segment, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but it's like, you know, Harvey Weinstein went to jail, but they didn't stop showing movies that he produced. Well, it's, you know, the industry is evolving. And, uh, you know, oh. we also haven't talked about the open letter from uh, the folks uh, telling Simon & Schuster to pull the Pence bio, so, or autobiography. So uh, at, at some point we'll talk about that once we get yeah. that. Yeah, uh, we, should write, we should write about that. I mean, I definitely disapprove of that. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you don't have to um, have been a... Uh, you don't have to have been a, a, a MAGA head, a Donald Trump voter, uh, or Republican, or anything uh, to, uh, to to. You don't have to have supported, but supported uh, Mike Pence. But I mean, my God, I mean, why 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 wouldn't why wouldn't if you were a publisher, why wouldn't you uh, publish that book? You know, it's going to sell millions of copies. Maybe right, or, the, or at least- the only person who actually like had everything pulled was Josh Hawley. He couldn't make it through, but you know, Pence and all, all, all the others managed to. Yeah, uh, but we'll, tell you what, we'll cover that. We'll cover that next week. The Mike, the Mike Pence letter. I, 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 again, like I do not approve of pulling books uh, in general, uh, unless the books contain like outright falsehoods or like you know calls for violent insurrection. And even then, who knows? Well, right. Anyway, I'm going to remember that you said that. So tune in next week when we talk about that some more. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right, so let's talk about what we actually did cover this week. Uh, well, first of all, Katie Smith, who at some point is going to update her phone and join us for one of these in person, she wrote another excellent piece about um, Lauren Huff, who is an Austin-based writer, I believe. Um, she is. Sharon, Sharon and I both live in Austin. She wrote, she published a memoir called, what is, what is that book called? Uh, Leaving is not the hardest thing. Leaving is not, isn't the hardest thing. And yes. uh, she uh, got into it online with her Goodreads reviewers. Did you, I, 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 with a lot of these stories, I couldn't quite make heads or tails of what the hell was going on, but maybe you could, you could help guide us. Well, you know, I think so often uh, those of us who, you know, allow ourselves to go down that book Twitter world, there's, there's like the character of the day, and she was the character of the day, I mean, several days, actually, because uh, she kind of had a resurgence, like the end of a horror movie where you think it's over, and then she comes back for more. Um, and, uh, you know, I have not read this particular book. It is It has been critically acclaimed, and many, you know, people who I would hold in high esteem think the book is awesome. Um that being said, at some point, she, you know, Lauren did what you're not supposed to do, which is go on Goodreads and read the reviews. And there were some reviewers said, well, I really liked it and I gave it, you know, I wish I could give it four and a half stars, but I only gave it four stars because of this and the other thing. And she just kind of 
went for broke, you know, screenshot these uh, reviewers and put it out on Twitter that, you know, how dare you like, you know, give my book four stars instead of five stars. And then just the masses uh, sort of rose up to fight um, and say, like, who, who are you to say your book deserves five stars? And so people started going on and giving her one-star reviews for her behavior on Twitter and drawing her rating down. Right. And she just, like, ugh. I mean, she targeted people um, just, you know, with, with sort of biting nasty commentary. And uh, it was very... It was fascinating to watch. And then later she went and, like, actually talked to Goodreads about getting them to pull these one-star reviews. And there's a whole sort of sub-conversation around um, uh, they did this for this white author, but there have been many times when this has apparently happened to, uh, you know, BIPOC authors um, or, you know, authors of color that Goodreads didn't pull these reviews. So um, that's another sort of wave burbling on Twitter. But um, I feel like this could have all been avoided if it had been kept in the the text string. You know, this is, maybe isn't something to put on Twitter. This is something to <laughs> lament with your friends, right? Yeah, or not, or just ignore. I mean, first of all, as someone who has a bunch of books on Goodreads, if someone gives me a four-star review, my first instinct would be to thank them because, you know, four stars is the second best you can get. It's a good. It's a B. Um, and I'm always happy when I see a four-star review. I'm like, oh, someone actually read my book. And basically liked it. All right, that's good. You know, I, my, my, my last instinct is to dox. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think this is Lauren Huff's first book. So maybe she's not used to these, uh, to the, these um, ups and downs. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, you know I, I cannot condone this behavior from a writer. You know, you should just be grateful. I'm always grateful that I got a book published, frankly. You know? <laughs> I mean, she's been around the block a few times. I, I feel like there was some conversation at one point, like after the first round where she said, oh, I said these things and, you know, I was under the influence and that's why I like, you know, went at it so harshly. But then like... Under the influence had, of, of what? Uh, of, she was drunk? Well, she was high. I think she uh, said she was high and then she ended up deleting the tweets, you know, mm-hmm. about that, that she had a friend who was sort of name hunting her so that she didn't have to find it. I feel like that just is never going to end well. Is it like, yeah. you know, like why put yourself through that? Just focus yeah. on the work, you know? Yeah. Uh, agreed. Agreed. And of course the most frustrating thing is that, uh, her efforts actually ended up getting her, her book onto the New York times bestseller list. Right. <laughs> it's a bad precedent to set. You right, know? you throw. I mean, you kind of throw a tantrum, and this is two weeks now. It's been on the bestseller list. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I don't know. I mean, it, it's. It, it, this strikes me as the kind of uh, kind of thing that you know Norman Mailer might have done if Goodreads has been around in the mid '60s. So it's not like writers throwing uh, tantrums over bad press is, is unprecedented or anything. It's just that this is all very extremely online. Yes. Yes. So. I just you know, it, it, it seems as though you know. If it had been one day, it still wouldn't have been great, but I feel like she just doubled down every single day to, like, how can I keep this sort of debate such as it was going? And uh, She got attention, and she got she got sales out of it. So, again, it's a bad precedent, um, but who, who are we? I mean, yes, who are we to judge? We are, we are here to judge. I mean, but, we are yeah. Book and Film Globe, and we are here to judge, Neil. That's why we're here. <laughs> 
Right, right. We are here to judge, but also, you know, I am the watcher on the wall. You know, we're just we're just kind of seeing seeing this this stuff unfold. Uh, and it, meanwhile, uh, also in Austin area uh, book news, uh, there is a a battle over a school reading list in the Leander ISD now. What I think is interesting, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about this story, uh, which I've been following a while before it sort of came onto, uh, you know, our radar when Penn America, which is um, an international nonprofit um, of writers yeah. very much devoted to free expression, um, they got involved and, and kind of wrote an open letter and that sort of, you know, brought it to the national uh, book Twitter discourse, such as it is. But essentially... Yeah. Uh, couple years ago, um, you know, uh, the English staff and this school district decided, okay, we're going to redo our curriculum. We're going to add in some newer young adult books. Things are more relevant, you know, kind of uh, bring in some diverse authors. And they put a bunch of uh, these books on uh, their book club lists, which 15 books, you get to pick one. You don't have to read all 15 of them. And some, the parents got wind of some of the titles and I think you could say they flipped. I mean, I think flipping, like when you come to the school board meeting and you bring a dildo and, and wave it at a school board meeting, I feel like that counts as flipping. Um, uh, parents were like, it's kind of like, uh, right. It's kind of like if you, if a gun appears in the, in the first act, it's going to go off. So bring a dildo to a school board meeting. It's going to go off in the, in, in, at the, by the end. And, and yeah, yeah, you had, you, we published a photo of the, of the parent brandishing a sex toy. I guess she was referring to, um, Carmen Maria Machado's in the dream house. Yeah. Book. So that- yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, incredibly critically acclaimed, um, memoir, really sort of unusual structure. Um, uh, but it, it traces how she, escaped an abusive relationship. And there is a section in there that, you know, talks about her having sex with another woman and, uh, sex toys involved. And so that is certainly a passage in the, in this book. Um, this is this first senior in high school, Right. Book choice reading list. I find it right. hard this to believe. Right, this isn't for four. We're not giving this to six-year-olds, you know. Right, right, fourth graders. <laughs> so, so then, I mean, the district just woo, like went to town on these uh, these teachers. They they said nobody's going to read any of these books until we review it with panels mm-hmm. of parents and teachers. And so, there's actually like. There's like four parents and one teacher on each little group, and the the district is saying, you know, we're going to change policy to make sure we don't buy any inappropriate books. And it is so ridiculous that so much time and energy is being taken up with a list of books, many of which, you know, I mean, Lori Hall Sanderson's uh, Speak, which is an incredible, I mean, like won all these prizes, um, you know, discussion of uh, consent and, you know, sexual abuse, um, but it's mostly about sort of the aftermath of that and how this teenage girl really healed from it. I mean, it's won tons of awards. It's in all these high school curriculums all over the country. Yeah. They're upset about that. 
They, you know, uh, they complained about Jacqueline Woodson's Red at the Bone, which is an adult novel, but, um, you know, it, anything well, to do with sex, they don't want that. Right. Well, also a, gra- a graphic novel of Shirley Jackson's short, legendary short story, story, The Lottery. Right. You know? I mean, exactly. I mean, Who among us did not read that book? And the, the issue at hand was... There was one gra- panel in that graphic novel that yeah. showed a woman's breast. That really a breast. Yes, and that was what women didn't have were- breasts before that book. Apparently, women didn't have breasts before that graphic novel came out. They did not. No one had ever so. seen a breast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got we got to get used to it. Things are the world is changing. They're showing right. breasts in comic books. You know. Well, the thing is, I look at this, I look at this list, and you know. You, frankly, like it's a lot more interesting than the usual high school reading list, which is always the same seven books over and over and over again. You know, it's like, oh, okay, we're going to read Macbeth and and To Kill a Mockingbird and sure. you know, four or five. Well, and you should read all those books, of course. But I mean, I don't know. I, I this to me just this it's surprising to me because as we've talked about here before, sort of the trend in book banning is sort of from the left, right? Like books that like, you know, have have dated con- racial and, and content that, that, that uh, you know, are not really in step with contemporary mores. And this, this strikes me as like very like old fashioned, like, you know, you know, comic book code, you know, Tipper Gore decrying rap lyrics style American censorship. Yeah. What's I going mean, on in the end? And, to, you know, I mean, you and I, like, we, we we could have this conversation every week about, like, what constitutes banning and what constitutes, you know, uh, as hopefully Jeopardy host LeVar Burton says, consequence culture as opposed to cancel culture. Well, That's another conversation. But, yes, this is a very old school uh, kind of censorship where... We don't, we don't like the stories. We think, you know, why are you robbing our children of their childhood? Why are you putting this filth in front of them? I mean, mm-hmm. one of the quotes that I put in the story from the parents who complained that I just thought was so telling and so ridiculous on its face was, you know, they, they had a petition to the district to say, you got to pull these books. And it said, any literature... Um, given to Leander high school students should be without controversy. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's what they That's what we always say about literature is that it should be without controversy. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I think, I bet if you looked at the entire curriculum of Leander ISD, they probably are still reading, you know, Othello and Macbeth and, um, yeah. you know, Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, just not in graphic novel form. Um, As you know, Othello was, uh, the content of Othello was without controversy, murdering your spouse because she had true. an affair best friend that's 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 without con there's no controversy in that right i mean there, you can uh, dis- describe you know i mean i know we've written about uh, disrupt texts before that that effort to sort of yeah. you know revolutionize the uh the what's considered canon in um yeah but i mean you can you can describe <laughs> romeo and juliet as uh you know like a Suicide pact gone wrong. I mean, anything can be suicide pact about non-consensual sex, right? But I mean, come on, you know, it's like you could do you could you could play it any way you wanted, but you know, there are just there are some 
Well, sure. And I think what's even, I mean, 100%, I think these books are designed to have high student interest and, um, you know, to, to teach aspects of, uh, you know, reading and reading comprehension that, you know, aren't like required literature, but, you know, develop that love of reading and also develop some humanity, like for your fellow man, right? Just because like, you're going to go through your whole high school career and never read, you know, an author of color, except in this book club unit. And like, now we're taking that away or we never read about gay people ever in high school. Um, is that just not allowed? Do do those students not get to see themselves at all in the books we read? Is is that what's going on here? So, uh, I, yes, that is what's going on. Um, in this case, that is what's going on. So we're going to, I think I have a feeling you and I are going to be batting this around back and forth. You know, everyone wants to censor everyone else. Uh, I, I believe no one should censor anyone. And, uh, and the Leander School Board, they've shown themselves to be pretty spineless about the whole thing. So Absolutely. Um, we're gonna we're, we're we're gonna move along to uh, film. It's time for the films part of Book and Film Globe. I'm gonna bring Kenji Fujishima up to the to the stage. Kenji is a uh, a contributor, a film writer, and um, you know v- very uh, knowledgeable about uh, types of films that uh, I, I am not so uh, not so familiar with a lot of times. Uh, Kenji, hey, how's it going? Doing well. Thanks for having me again, Neil. Yeah, yeah, of course. And you know, we we're, we're bringing you up because I know you got to get to work to your day job, uh, and uh, or your night job. I don't, I, I don't. Maybe you're a security guard. I don't. I don't know what you do, but uh, it's, it's really none of my business. But but this week you uh, you wrote about um, about endlessness, which uh, is the latest film from uh, Swedish director Roy Anderson. And what's interesting about this is like. You pitched this to me, and then one of our other uh, writers, Michael Giltz, was also like, hey, there's a new Roy Anderson movie out, and you all were both super excited about it, and I was like, that sounds, I mean, it must be important, I've never heard of Roy Anderson, Um, why would I, I'm only the editor of a film site, right, so, uh, but maybe you could uh, could tell us a little bit about this, uh, this film, and about Anderson himself. Well, uh, he's... He's a very, he's kind of difficult to pin down stylistically. I mean, I tried my best in my piece. Uh, right. You could say that he is, and I, I characterize for, for American audiences, maybe they'll think of perhaps like, in some ways, the polar opposite of like Wes Anderson. Uh huh. Especially visually, you know, Wes Anderson likes to fill his frames with a lot of, uh, uh visual humor and interest. Uh, Anderson, uh, Roy Anderson. Um, and, uh, he does it basically, uh, to elucidate a very, uh, deadpan, uh, view of human life, you know, human existence, like everyday human existence. So, you know, most of, he doesn't necessarily have characters in his movies. There's, there's some recurring characters, but mostly there are vignettes of like just people like living their lives and some of the uh, absurd, some of the like the absurdities we all, we all deal with in our own. Uh, the, the, the colors in the film look they look very kind of um, 
they're not there's not a lot of like brightness there's a lot of grays and like kind of kind of like 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 pale blue and black yeah it's in color, it's in color but it, it feels very scandinavian right <laughs> yeah i guess you could say that and i mean also like uh he is you could i i i pointed to some like reference points as far as like his style which is singular in a lot of ways but it is drawing from um uh uh from a lot of sources including like i mean his fellow uh, his fellow legendary swede uh umar bergman right uh, and i mean bergman is not known to be a humorist although i actually saw him in his movies recently uh winter light and i actually might argue that he does have a a sense of humor in a certain uh-huh. A certain deadpan way that you were cra- you were cracking up at a Bergman, Ingmar Bergman movie. Yeah, you know, it, it's not like it's it's kind of like Anderson kind of does this too. It's not like yeah. a aha thing. It's just like right. it's like like human whimsy. You don't human, have, human comedy. Yeah, you don't necessarily you you may laugh, but it's in recognition of you know something that you might have felt or dealt with in your own lives, and yeah. it's like this director is like pointing to that in a certain way like in Anderson's case he does it in a very surrealistic way some of the time a lot of the time actually yeah you also mentioned Jacques Tati uh that is a filmmaker who I am familiar with he he does these sort of absurd vignette uh slice of life comedies or did these absurd vignette slice of life comedies yeah and 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 in a film similar in a filmmaking kind of way like uh Tati used a lot of long takes Anderson doesn't do a lot of close-ups he likes to keep the camera sometimes the camera moves but mostly he likes to keep the camera stationary and he keeps the camera at a distance so it's kind of like he presents some of this uh dryly absurd stuff but uh, yeah. that's it to us like we just kind of observe right uh, you know, it's funny. It's funny. I, was, I was watching. Um, I was watching some clips from the movie and from some of his other movies, and I kept thinking about you know that that that, that scene in in, in uh, Woody Allen's Love and Death where they make, kind of make obviously the whole movie is making fun of Bergman, but that scene where uh, uh, um, Diane Keaton and Jessica Harper are repeating the word wheat over and over again. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Well, this they're is like, what I'm Love and death. <laughs> yeah. they're like they're just like wheat. Wheat and I, I, and there's a scene in the About Endlessness trailer where this woman and the man are sitting on a park bench and the woman says to him, "It's already September," and he's like, "Yes." I'm like, "Oh my god, that is so Scandinavian." It's already yeah. September. His characters, the people in his movie don't necessarily emote, which is why I brought up the uh, Robert Robert Bresson uh, reference. Yeah. The, char- yeah. the actors in his movies are are not highly emotive. Yeah, uh, in the case of Anderson's films, the idea is that it's—I mean, it, it is kind of a depressive worldview. You know, it's just like life has kind of beaten a lot of these people down, and yeah, the way they survive is basically just to get through to the next day. Uh, right. But but I think what, I couldn't relate to that at all. <laughs> but but I mean, I what I what I like <laughs> is that like a he's able to like recognize some of these uh aspects of human existence and translate it into a highly stylized to me very original but also you know it's kind of i think it's kind of inspiring in its own way i mean it's either yeah. you you it's either you are beaten down by the uh by daily life to the point where you don't do anything or you do yeah. what 
Griffin does, and uh, you know, you turn it into art. Um, yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. It's like I'm making fun of the movie because it's, it's like it's like every like American stereotype of a foreign film you could imagine. But the, visually, it is you know from what I've seen of it, it is quite beautiful. And you know, and it, if you like that art house style of films, this looks like a very like shiny modern example of it. Yeah, I mean, it it, it is uh, to be fair, like. His, his sensibility is a matter of taste. Now, I know friends of mine who are, are not really fans of his for a lot of the reasons that I like him. Right. And I mean, I think he also has, if you watch his movies, he does have moments where, like, they, they feel very insightful about, like, how people get through their days, live their lives. And yeah. Even, yeah. even other subjects like history, like some of yeah. his movies, moments where they, like, like, some anachronistic moments where like character, like figures from like human history pop up in the modern day, and it's kind of comic. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Adolf Hitler is is in this movie. The character Adolf Hitler he comes up very briefly in one of the segments. It, All right. it, well, post like, well towards the end of World War Two, he's in his bunker. You know, it's his last day. So, you know, he pops up very briefly. It's like a scene from Downfall. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, not quite. Less, less. Uh, sort of. Does, does not have anyone screaming like Bruno Gantz is in that famous meme. Yeah. Yeah. Not as sweaty. Um, well, anyway. Uh, so, uh, well, uh, you know, you should all uh, check out uh, Kenji's article about about endlessness and about Roy Anderson. You know, I um, again, like, I'm making fun of it, but I did. I did learn a lot from reading the piece, and now this is a director who is on my radar. How, how can you? Um, how can you? Uh, see this film it's getting its theatrical release in, in the u.s starting today april 30th right yes um i i know that it, at least in new york i know there is a the theater film showing mm-hmm. it and you can watch it in person yeah also through their uh virtual cinema platform so uh and, I, and i'm sure that there are other theaters across the country that are also uh offering yeah, that are showing Virtually, because a lot of a lot of the art house type theaters. I mean, I know that the, the sort of the multiplex theaters are all most open, open most everywhere. But a lot of the art house theaters are still, at least where I live, are still not not showing films in person yet. But what about his other movies? Uh, Songs from the Second Floor, You the Living, a pi- and yeah. a Pigeons, a Branch Reflecting on Existence. They are a little different. I mean, you can. I know You the Living and a Pigeon Sat on the Branch. Blah blah blah. Uh, yeah. You can. Rent them on plat- streaming platforms. Uh, a pigeon, yeah. and you can uh, watch it. I, I actually rewatched it through uh, Magnolia Selects. Uh, mm-hmm. They're, I guess, their own like streaming platform. Uh, you the Living and Explore yeah. songs. I really wish that like I, I through the magic of the uh, Queen's library system, I was able to borrow a DVD copy from of songs from the second floor which I miraculously had well if you live in Queens and you have a library card the films of Roy Anderson readily available um, so alright thank you Kenji great to talk to you again Garrett is our, our chief film critic and uh, our uh, our uh, film festival correspondent, and he uh, 
He wrote about, well, the Oscars were on Sunday, Stephen. That's right. Yeah. They were. I know we're kind of, that's kind of in the rearview mirror. You know, it's funny about the Oscars, like, everybody I've talked to at the Oscars, pretty much everyone's reaction was, for the most part, obviously, like, I know a lot of people who like movies, but people were like, I didn't see any of the movies, and I didn't watch the Oscars. And And I didn't even know how to watch the Oscars. Because they're on ABC and I don't have a TV. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, that seems like kind of a get a freaking that... get an antenna. That's yeah, what I did. I watched it on on my antenna, and you know, and just, I, I kept it on. You keep it. I don't know. People like people forget. I've forgotten how to watch TV. So, well, I think that's yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, I they were quite something. But... They are always quite something every year. Um, and whether you like that or dislike it, it really, uh, will have a bearing on whether or not you like this year, you know? I mean, look, it's an award show. So you're sitting around watching people get awards for work they did. And, you know, like you're saying with, you know, hey, get an antenna. Like, you need to put a little bit of work into the, the, the show if you want to enjoy the show. So do you need to go see Nomadland? I mean, you don't have to do anything you don't want to, but why would you be watching the show if you haven't watched Nomadland or Judas right. and the Black Messiah or any of the other movies, which, yes, they're small movies, but they're so much more available on a national scale uh, in terms of digital streaming than any movie has ever been. You know, so that's yeah. a question of how much are you interested or invested in wanting to see movies like at all, you know? So for people to say, oh, the ratings were really low or, oh, I couldn't get ABC or whatever, that, I mean, I don't really no, know how to respond no excuse, to that. You no know, excuse. it's like. You could have seen the movies if you'd want yeah, to. Yeah, I mean. Most people I, have Netflix and Hulu, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It depends. Like, I did I watch the Super Bowl? Not really. But I don't follow sports teams, so I don't really care. Right. You know, does that mean that they failed? I watch no. the Super Bowl. I watch the Super Bowl and the Oscars. I watch. Everything. There you go. I like watching. You're in it because you're an American. That's what you do. Well, I'm an, I'm an, I'm an American, and also like you know this this is why I um you know that's why yeah and I I'm American, and you watch you watch the Oscars and you watch the Super Bowl. That's that's just that's that's what you do. So are, are the diehards going to watch it because they watch the movies and they want to see uh, the people that made that entertainment, you know, get recognized and give thanks? Sure. Um, but to your point about just being a, a red-blooded American watching the Super Bowl and watching uh, the Oscars, the Oscars were a show that once upon a time you could watch without actually having seen many of the movies. Now, you know, when there was more of a monoculture in 30, 40 years ago, most people might have already seen the movies anyway just because it was part of the cultural discourse. Um, at least the show did still make an effort to entertain, and I think that was what made this year a bit of an outlier because there were, I mean, we talked about this, you mentioned it, no MC, no jokes, uh, no dumb dance routines or musical acts or yeah. montages. But you know what those dopey things actually... Uh, make it fun and make it entertaining. And yeah, the, the, Billy, the Billy Crystal song montages, or I know, They're or great, or Oprah Uma Uma Oprah, the the legend. I loved the David Letterman year. That I love the David Letterman, the, the so-called infamous David Letterman bombing, which was like I thought he did a great job. Oprah that was, was still top, funny. That was the top five Oscars for me. So this year, okay, two things. One. Um, there was one routine, <laughs> surprisingly, two hours and 45 minutes. Right. Ago, Glenn Close <laughs> danced to Debut. Mm. 
very strange moment in popular yeah. culture. Yeah, I mean, hearing her say shout out to Sugar Daddy and all the whatever, you're just like, what? I mean, it was yeah. like so obviously scripted and so brilliant to see her <laughs> reaction. This old white lady, I know that. That's the bot. Yeah. Yeah, and totally it, worth it. They right, redeemed it. Going straight to the in memoriam segment right oh, now. Oh, hang on. Hang, hang oh, on. Yeah, second. true that. That was very odd. Hang on a second. We have a call. We have a caller. Uh, Greg, Greg Gregory has uh, has joined us, and so uh, yeah. So you had a, you had a comment to make there? Yeah, I just had to interject that the the twerking that Glenn Close did was immediately followed by the uh, <laughs> segment of all the people who have died in the last year um, at one point five speed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Actually, at, at, at certain times, much faster than that. They'd slow down for Kirk Douglas, and then they'd speed up right. for five other people. I was going to say that. So they rushed through the in memoriam segment with uh, ending with Sean Connery and and Chadwick Boseman because they. I feel like they wanted to. They were saving this big blockbuster ending for the Oscars that they were going to honor Chadwick Boseman for best actor. And then he didn't win, <laughs> and they gave it to Anthony Hopkins yeah. instead. Oops! Uh oh. And Anthony Hopkins was was asleep in his castle in Wales. Which, yeah, and so yeah, and true that. And, so, and actually, they, 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 so let me tell you a little. I'm going to tell you a little gossip too that I just heard that apparently Anthony Hopkins did say to the producers, "I will make the effort to stay up until three in the morning or whatever, just on the off chance." I guess it'd be five in the morning. Um, if if I win, I you know I you can. And they were like, no zooms. So he's like, okay, I'm going to bed. So right. it's not like he didn't actually try to be there. Sure, but no, he wasn't no. Being, no and it's, I just I just I just love it that like they're like, uh, no, no, yeah, no, we don't need no, any Anthony. No, thanks, no, but no like, thanks. Top, You're not no going to win. Five all-time screen legend actor. No, we don't want to talk to you. We're going to honor Chadwick Boseman. And then, and then we, you know, and then everyone was like, that, you know, and then, and then there was all this outrage that they hadn't honored Chadwick Boseman properly. I'm like, I, I've never seen an actor more honored after death than Chadwick Boseman has been honored. And it's not like it wasn't deserved, but I mean, come on, you know, give me a yeah. break. No, and, and it wasn't for racial reasons. I they just voted Anthony Hopkins because he had made, he had a great performance, and I, I thought I thought Chad, Chadwick Boseman's performance was was good and uh, really good and. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom too, but it was all—it was very theatrical and very showy. You know, it was like it was lost, very speechy, right? So I don't know. Anyway, I don't really care one way or another. I just thought that those were the to me those were the moments of the Oscars that were uh, that were sort of the mo- most notable, right? 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 right. You know, and, you know, and and from pop, and from a pop culture standpoint, and I would say with respect that uh, actually. Having a time limit for people to speak is not a bad idea. Maybe they could meet in the middle, but I really don't need right. to hear these guys jabber on for ten minutes. You know? No, 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 absolutely not. And I would like an orchestra. I mean, yeah. I, I thought, I thought, I thought Questlove was fine as a DJ. It's not he has good taste and he picked good songs and all that. But I mean, I would rather. Um, I, I like the orchestra, and I want Billy Crystal. I want you know, and I, so so I, I, I want a, a parody song montage. Those but that's the thing. I mean, you know, like like you're saying. I mean, you know, do you if you just want a room full of people congratulating each other, why are you televising it? Right. You don't need to, right. you know. I, and if you're going to televise it, then you need to make, make something entertaining. Yeah, you I know, mean, for even you know, people like, who don't know anything. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, uh, Will Ferrell and Jack Black singing about Del Taco. I remember that. Or even, <laughs> I mean, that was, I, I like, couldn't believe they were singing about Del Taco. Um, and then um, even, like, uh, Seth MacFarlane's opening We Saw Your Boobs montage. In right. Right. Still super entertaining. I mean, that was to the the uh, definition of politically incorrect. But my God, exactly. I mean, yeah, go politically ahead. correct or incorrect, there are a million ways to be entertaining, and yeah. yet they found not one, except yeah. actually just one, just no, one, which is James Bond doing the butt. They found <laughs> a good one, but it was it was regular. One. It was too good. It was too late, but it was memorable. All right, too late, so, too late. Um, let let's move along to your movie of the week, movie of the week, uh, Stowaway. On uh, Netflix, which is a kind of a tale of a, a, a three-hour tour to Mars gone 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 wrong, <laughs> right? Uh, right. You, you liked this. Uh, this. I'm I, 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 I'm a I'm not a fan of astronauts crying in space movies, and this seems right. like kind of an astronaut crying in space film a little bit. A little there's bit. a lot. There's a lot of crying. A lot of crying yeah. in space. There's no you know. crying in baseball, and there's no crying in space, as far as I'm concerned. But so this is a this is a movie about uh, as, uh, about um, three sort of scientists going to Mars, and there's a st- and then someone gets stuck on the ship, basically. Yeah, yeah. and uh, apparently it may or may not be based on a short story that is uh, shares a lot of the same plot points, um, yeah. which was from 1954. Which uh, apparently the story behind it is that. It was one of these sci-fi stories where the editor of whatever science fiction magazine insisted that the writer give it a bleak ending. Don't give it a happy ending. You know, let's look at the hard science. This is about the realities, the cold, harsh realities of space exploration. And any exploration, really. It's lonely lonely out in space. Right. right. This doesn't end with uh, Sandra Bullock, you know, landing on Earth and feeling the pull of gravity on her body. Yeah, land, you know. landing in a landing in a pond in China. Exactly. I think Joe Penna, who wrote and directed this, would have made sure that Sandra Bullock died in some noble way. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, all right. So we know that it's not a uh, schlocky, gravity happy ending movie. Although you won't give away the actual ending. Yeah. I uh, mean, it's it's definitely it, it was not the ending I was expected uh, expecting, and yet it was a really lovely ending for what it was and. Um, was it, could it have been a little faster? I think so, sure, yeah. you know. Um, it's not a perfect movie. But it is a pretty audacious movie. And there are some, I've mentioned this in the review, there are some um, aspects of the way in which Joe Penna directed the movie, specifically the opening. I've never seen a rocket launch where you never actually see the rocket launch. You are literally in the capsule with the three passengers, and you're just watching their faces react to everything. And, you know, as I was watching it, I kept waiting for him to cut away, and then he didn't. And I, and I, you know, after nine or ten minutes, I was like, that's kind of brilliant. I've never seen that before. It's really nice to see, you know, some of the cliches jettisoned uh, when you're making something like this. And one of the others was, you know, there's that obligatory, here's the trio talking to Earth, you know, in what looks to be some sort of, you know, promo piece, or they're talking to a newscaster or whatever, they're talking to the Earth. Um, but you don't hear the questions, you just see their responses. And that becomes uh, the way in which Penna shows the crew talking to mission control. 
You never hear anybody else's voice except theirs. And it's such a great way to ramp up tension, to, you know, um, to reinforce the claustrophobia and the loneliness. I thought it was really smart, really smart. And then the second half where you have the spacewalk, um, I found it so much more riveting and breathless. And I, I kept noticing my, my fists were clenched because I was, like, stressed about what was going to happen. I mean, it was great. It was it was everything you'd want a movie to do. So uh, right. I give it I give it props. And Joe Penna made this movie. His first Arctic. movie was Arctic, Arctic. Yeah, right beforehand. And it's another survival at all odds at you know kind of movie. And it's Mads Mikkelsen as a plane crash happens uh, in in the Arctic, and he's the uh, last person to. I mean, actually, there's another person he finds who's alive, but she's kind of right on the razor's edge, and he's trying to keep her alive, and also get help and machinery's failing and the weather's getting worse and it's all that. So, you so, know, it, so, so this is his wheelhouse. Have, so now we have a, yeah, we have a, a Joe, Joe Penn, not a director who I was familiar with, but now we know that he has, he has a signature uh, subject matter and a signature style, which is survival at any cost in harsh right, 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 right. Which is frankly refreshing right. because, you know, there aren't any, like something bad will happen, and it's just a question of yeah. you know mitigating the damage, you know. And I kind of like those stories. It's not this; it is triumph over adversity, but there are costs, and I, right. I appreciate this, that so this, story. This, this, this is not the Martian. Stowaway is not the Martian. Right? You're not going to pump your hand in the air and go like, "Yay, science!" Like the Martian, you know, where yeah. he kind of he figured it out, he worked the problem, and got home safe. Like, no. Right. All right. Nothing's All right. completely well, safe. Some people get well, home, but not everybody. All right. Well, uh, you can watch Stowaway on Netflix and find out who. So, all right, Stephen. Cool. Thank you very much. Good, good yep. talk, Stephen. We're gonna, we're gonna pivot uh, here at the end to um, TV land. Uh, I've got a couple of our, our writers are here to talk about some uh, streaming TV shows they reviewed. Paula Schaefer. Hello, hello. Hey there. Paula Schaefer, Book and Film Globe uh, frequent contributor, uh, has uh, this week has, um, has uh, reviewed the film Shadow and uh, – not film, the series Shadow and Bone for us. Shadow and Bone is based on a, a several different uh, – y- like a YA uh, novel universe, Right. That's right. And Netflix yes. has finally made a fun show. It's taken mm-hmm. them a really long time, but they did it. Yeah. Um, it's the Grishaverse. The Grishaverse. Yes. Author Leo Bardugo. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about Shadow and Bone. What what's the what's what's the setup and what do they do right here? So the setup is, you know, the the lonely girl who is an orphan has mm-hmm. untapped potential and secret hidden powers that are revealed that will save the entire land. So, oh wow, that's <laughs> never been done before. Never, never been done before. Never, never. It's it's not. You know, this is not an uncharted territory that nobody has ever explored before. But it's yeah. being done a little differently here and okay. ways that feel kind of fresh. And again, it's it's fun, and we all kind of need fun right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I watched, I watched the, my, my, my wife's been watching Shadow and Bone. She loves it. Um, I, I watched the first episode with her and, you know, I, I, I under, 
first of all, I found the leads very appealing, so that, that, that helps. And also, like, you know, and I appreciated what they were up to, and I liked the subplot with the sort of underground criminals in the, in the city. Part of that was, I didn't really, didn't really see that coming. Um, I did not like the out-of-order intersecting narrative thing that they did. And that's one of my, that, that, like, crying in space, that's something that's just like a, like a, it's a no-go for me. You know? Yeah, yeah. The timelines are murky. It like there, yeah. there is they they did not give their attention to detail into the timelines. Anything could be happening. Has it been a week? Has it been a year? Has this all happened over the course of a day? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. There's there's a lot it does, going though. on. It doesn't matter though. It matters. <laughs> <laughs> it matters to me, Paula. I know it matters to you. It always does. <laughs> but in the context of this story here, we are not making like refined high art meant to change the world. We're making fun escapist fantasy. Yes. And fantasy timelines tend to be mucky anyway. So I can forgive that. They did that with, Netflix did that with The Witcher too, which was another film that I, uh, a series, a fantasy series that I thought was, you know, had fun bits to it, but it was like, I was like, what year is this? <laughs> yeah. What timeline? You never know where the- you never know. You never know where you are in the story, and to me, that's a flaw. But 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 what you 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 seem to also um, in your review, your your excellent review on Book and Film Globe, you um you talk about uh, the uh, that there's a lot of strong female characters, young female characters in this who are not letting uh, boys or men define their paths. Yeah, and that that tends to be kind of a, a weakness. The the irony of young adult novels, they're usually labeled as young adult novels because they're about teenage girls. So therefore, you know, young adult is coded for book about a girl and her feelings. And yeah. often that leads to like the character is very passive and she's sitting observing her world and everything is happening to her. And mm-hmm. you know, in the Hunger Games series, it takes Katniss until basically the end of the third book to like say, wait a minute and actually like really take a strong definitive action and stance. Right. But she's, otherwise, the girl, but she's the girl on fire. Right. <laughs> so it doesn't matter, but it yeah. does. Yeah. And they've kind of taken some of the weaknesses from the novels. One of the things they've done is you, you mentioned about the underground street gang. Um, the original yeah. shadow and bone trilogy was written and then there's a duology about the mm-hmm. street gang from somewhere else in the same world that exists separately, and they've kind of taken the canon of the trilogy and then folded in new adventures from the duology because those characters are more dynamic and interesting, frankly. They're, <laughs> they're very, they're very uh, they're, yeah, they're very steampunky. They're like steampunk yes. kids. <laughs> yes, and there's they're like, like they're, heist going on. <laughs> they're they're like doing like these 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 jewel heists or whatever, and they're like. Um, they're like wearing funny hats and like shooting shooting pistols and stuff. So you know they're like steam. I mean, I say kids. They're these are not teenagers. These are these are characters in their twenties. They seem to be young people in their twenties, like working some under. There's gambling. There's hookers. You know, hooker types. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't, um, heart, I don't know if a heart render is like a, as a fantasy hooker. I'm not sure. I couldn't quite get a sense of what 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 she actually does. Um, they, they can manipulate like your pulse. Like they could make you very excited or lull you or do whatever they can control your, your life force. All, all the, all the, all the feels. They yes. give you all the feels. Yes. They can, they can make you feel how that works. Right. <laughs> but it, it, it was good. And, and so, yeah, so that was interesting. Shadow, Shadow and Bone had this vibe. Like it was part of it was like this sort of 
alternate world Russia. Like yes, things are a little Ravka. Russian-y feeling. Yes. <laughs> Ravka. And, and like, you know, some of the characters are like half Asian and some of them are more like, you know, Caucasian Russian. So, you know, it, 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 that, that was, that was kind of cool. And then you had this like, like, it was kind of like Victorian London, right? The city. Yeah, I would say. But yeah. they've, they've finally done, like, Netflix is always aiming for this, for diversity in their storytelling. They just, you know, they, they want diversity. They want to reflect the world. But often it's like, well, here's somebody who looks different. That's their character. And they forget <laughs> that that's right. only part of who that person is, and it informs their character but does yeah. not make a character. Yeah. And in Shadow and Bone, they've made some pretty good strides yeah. at, like, making diversity just a thing that's there and exists yeah. and shapes the world around people who are also fully realized characters. So right. it's fun. The women are, the young women are making their own choices, bad choices sometimes, but they're doing yeah. their, their own choices. They're not yeah. being pushed or shaped or, you know, just moved along. They say, okay, I want to do this. And then they do it. And then they yeah. suffer the consequences. Yeah. And so that was a nice sure. change up too. Yeah, it was refreshing. So Shadow and Bone on Netflix, check it out. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Pablo Gallaga is here, our frequent contributor, Pablo Gallaga, to talk about them on Amazon Prime. That does not sound like a show you're going to want to check out. Hey, Neil. Thanks for having me. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, uh, I really can't recommend it. Um, should I kind of go through the background of what it's about? I think. Yeah, please. Yeah, please. So, so, yeah, please. Uh, them, it's like a horror anthology series set in the 1950s, uh, and it's about a black family that moves from the Midwest to Compton. Would you say that's that's sort of the basic setup? Yeah, that's the basic setup. And actually going back, uh, what's interesting is Little Marvin, the showrunner for this, doesn't want to call it a horror anthology. He wants to call it a terror anthology. Oh. So, you know, equating racism with terrorism uh, is pretty much the main theme of the show. Uh-huh. And that's kind of the one note that it hits and sustains for about 10 hours, you know, 10 hour, uh, 10 episodes at 45 minutes. Uh, and it just, it's really uncomfortable and ultimately very numbing. Uh, yeah. You know, I would venture to guess that's the intention sort of in the vein of, you know, if you're sick of hearing about racism, imagine how people who constantly experience it must feel, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, Sure, but, but uh, you know, but we're looking at making some entertainment here at the same time. Yeah, and as I said, it just, it's tough to get through. I really struggled to finish it. Um, and, you know, it, it does some good things. It does. It, it's got some influence from De Palma and Stephen King, uh-huh. uh, Hitchcock, obviously Jordan Peele being kind of the marketing push that they made, that it looks like a Jordan Peele production, and it, it isn't. It, but, looks, uh, yeah, you know, it looks in the marketing like a TV version of Us. Right, like definitely something out of Monkey Paul Productions is what it, they're trying to make you think, yes. but it, it is not. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, and the thing about the Jordan, you know, Us and Get Out, um, and even some of Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone episodes is that they have, a, you know, they, they they have a lot of humor <laughs> in them, you know, a yeah. lot of irony, and this this show looks like a real bludgeon. It's got uh, maybe a couple moments of levity, uh, a little bit of comeuppance for for the white racists. It, it does not have the butt. I, I think that that you know that's not something it includes that would have yeah. some levity. But uh, well, that was the wrong era. I set in the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but um, you know how do, how does it compare? Do you, how does it compare to say um, an, a, another sort of uh, recent anthology type series about? Uh, race relations in the past. Uh, Lovecraft's country. Does that, does it, does it, 
Does it have any echoes of that? Definite comparisons have been made to that. Um, I feel like Lovecraft Country is a lot more celebratory of black culture. It, yeah. I, it doesn't bring you down. Like I, you do see all the racism and awful things that they go through in that show, but ultimately there's a lot of pride and spends a lot of time in those communities and shows, right. you know, you know, there's a lot of happiness there. But one is much more cliche and unoriginal and nothing you haven't seen before. You know, black family moving to the suburbs and getting treated badly, basically. Right, and you know we have like a, there's a there's a a huge spate of these uh, of uh, shows that sort of are are, are imaginatively reinventing uh, black tropes, uh, black storytelling tropes in the black experience. I was thinking of Lovecraft Country and also Watchmen, the HBO series Watchmen, oh, yeah. Yeah. which was super inventive in its in its treatment of black of black history uh, and and black characters. But it sounds like them is um, kind of tapping into that trend, but but not in a in a fun way. Or, or original way. Like Watchmen, I hadn't really considered that. That's telling that story in a way you've never seen before. And that's yeah. what makes it special. Yes. Non-linearly, I might add. And, and <laughs> which, which, which I found very annoying. But it wasn't, it wasn't the actual content of the show that I, that I found annoying. It was the- There's a bit of the non-linear in them as well, which is uh-huh. kind of annoying. It, it teases with this prologue of a hate crime that happens, which precipitates them moving to Compton. And it doesn't actually show you what happens until the fifth episode. And what's noteworthy about that is that fifth episode is probably the most controversial and violent. It is the only episode directed by a black creative. Um, the others directed by white men. Interesting. All right. So yeah. with a black showrunner and a black yes. producer, Lena Waithe. Lena Waithe uh, from uh, The Shy and uh, Master Atlanta, of None, Queen and Slim. Master of None, yeah. Yeah, Queen, well, Queen and Slim, which which we run a pretty harsh review of, uh, right. when it came out as well. All right, well, them sounds bad, so maybe don't see that. Uh, but you know, if it's, if, 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 but but it's, it is a great piece, and you should read that piece on Book and Film Globe www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We are we put out original content pretty much every day, and we cover the world of. Uh, literature and film and streaming television and uh, we break a little news here and there and we always try to uh, give as broad a perspective on the culture as we possibly can. Uh, I am Neil Pollock. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe. Uh, I'm going to close today's show with, inevitably, I think everyone can guess what's coming. That's right. It's the butt. I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, 
actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. Audio Hopper.